0: Today's reading is Matthew chapter 11 verses 20 to 30. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the Day of Judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the Day of Judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of Heaven and Earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the gospel of Christ. Christ, Amen. Indeed, do take a seat.
1: And let me read again, verse uh, 27. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Let's pray together. Father, we long that we would see you clearly and know you this morning. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would reveal yourself, reveal your Father to us as we hear these words through the power of your Spirit to the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I wonder, does it matter if we wholeheartedly follow Jesus? Does it matter? Maybe I can say, well, when I'm a bit older, then I'll become religious and I'll follow Jesus. Wouldn't that be okay? This morning we come to some of Jesus' best-known, perhaps best-loved words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a wonderful invitation, isn't it? From Jesus Christ himself to enjoy the good life now but also some of these words we've heard read are hard aren't they they sound harsh and theologically they are difficult they get to the heart of some of the discussions about God's sovereignty and our responsibility as humans and the danger is as we come to a passage like this we just cherry pick we listen to the bit we like and we kind of just let the rest drift drift over us but all of these words are the words of the Lord Jesus And all of them need to be heard. There are three very different parts to our reading this morning. First, in in verses 20 to 24, we have a loving warning from Jesus. In essence, he says, You must repent and believe in me, for judgment is coming to those who won't. Then, the next section, there's this amazing prayer of praise. Verse 25 to 27, Jesus says, Knowing God is such a wonderful thing, such an extraordinary thing that you cannot repent and believe. You cannot come to know me unless I reveal myself to you. And then verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, come to me, repent and believe that you may know me. Now, at first glance, these things seem to contradict. You must repent and believe. You can't repent and believe. So come and repent and believe. And we need to wrestle with this. And my hope and prayer is as we look at this, each one of us will know the joy of coming under Jesus' yoke, of knowing his father. Be that for the first time or the ten thousandth time, we will rejoice afresh in him and long that others too would know this joy. Well, let's look first, verse 20 to 24, where Jesus says, you must repent and believe in me. You must repent and believe in me. If you were with us last time, you'll remember that Jesus has just been talking about his generation. He says they're like fickle children. First, God sent John, the great prophet, and then he sent Jesus, God's king, who did extraordinary miracles, demonstrating the kingdom was there. The lame walked, the blind received their sight, dead people even were raised. And yet the people did not listen. They were like fickle children who rejected, they sulked, because Jesus wasn't who they expected him to be. And we read verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were performed because they did not repent. That is to say, they did not turn back and believe and follow Jesus. or well, listen to his terrible words. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Two big cities in the area Jesus has been doing his miracles. Woe to you, because if the miracles were performed in Tyre and Sidon, two infamously anti-God cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Sodom, of course, is a place of great wickedness, a byword in the Bible for R-rated sin. We can, see, we can read in Genesis 19 of the way it was such a, a, a place that God destroyed it with fire from heaven. But do you see what Jesus is saying? Even this city that is a byword for rebellion against God, if they had seen these miracles of Jesus, if they had heard the gospel, they would have repented. But you in these cities, you have heard Jesus' message, you have seen his miracles, and you have hardened your hearts, and so how much worse will judgment day be for you? These are terrible words, but we have an important truth here. The Bible says we all know enough about God to know that he exists, that we should worship him. And on judgment day, when God judges us, no one will be able to say God's verdict is unfair. No one will say, God, I didn't know. All will say, actually, God's verdict is right. And part of that is God's judgment will be in proportion to what we know about Jesus, how much of the gospel we have heard. And the stark warning here is, that those who've grown up in a Christian family, those who've had the privilege of coming to a church, perhaps who've uh, entered into the family of God through the symbol of baptism, if we do not live a life repenting and believing in Jesus, judgment day will be terrible for us. Jesus says we must repent and believe. It's not enough to come to church. It's not enough to like singing hymns. It's not enough, to be friends with Christians. The crucial question is, have we repented and believed in Jesus? These are terrifying words, but they're not nasty words. Jesus doesn't say this to be nasty. He says this as a loving warning. He longs people would come to him. I was very struck this week, thinking of the Christian heritage of this city. It's in the name, isn't it? Christ Church. It's got Jesus' name in it. And despite our culture's recent attempts to remove Christianity from the public square, the legacy of Christianity is all around us in the city, isn't it? Literally on a number of buildings and statues, there are Bible verses. Every Anzac Day, we hear the Bible read. Every Christmas, go into a supermarket for a few minutes, and you cannot but fail to hear songs singing about Jesus. We have a tremendous privilege of hearing and knowing the gospel in this city. But Jesus says this privilege comes with a tremendous responsibility. And he looks at Christ church and says, it will be more bearable on judgment day for Sodom than for you if you do not repent. Tremendous words. And friends, if you're with us this morning, listening and you don't know Jesus you don't follow Jesus Jesus would urge you to repent and follow him it may be that you have questions that you need to ask be in touch with the office be in touch with a Christian friend it may be that you need to come to Christianity Explored and and ask your questions but do you see it's not enough just to admire Jesus to be impressed with Jesus the question is do you follow Jesus have you repented and believed in him Well, having said this, Jesus turns to praise his father. And in some ways, his words are perplexing, aren't they? They give us an insight into God's plan for salvation. And some of us, rather than praise God for this, we frankly don't like it. Because in essence, what Jesus says is, you cannot repent and believe in me. You cannot know who I am unless I reveal myself to you. Let's look at Jesus' words, and then we'll think what they mean. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The things of God, the kingdom of heaven, knowing God Himself, it is such a wonderful thing that we cannot obtain it on our own. We cannot grasp this by ourselves. We need God to reveal it to us. And I just want to show you a couple of things here. See first the great glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my Father in heaven, by the Lord of heaven and earth. And friends, just think for a minute what that means. All knowledge, all power, all wisdom, all authority has been committed to jesus it's a truth that's echoed isn't it At the end of this gospel as jesus sends out the disciples all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and it's so easy isn't it to think lightly of jesus to have small ideas of him but god the father has committed all things to him if you have nothing but jesus you have everything a poor girl in africa With no education, with poor health, with an emaciated body, with a life expectancy of 32, but with a great love for Jesus, has everything. But a rich man in the developed West with his good education and his fine food and his plentiful clothes and his good health care who scoffs at Jesus, though he may look more blessed, ultimately he has nothing. Because all things are committed to Jesus and he has no part in Jesus. And you see, part of Jesus' great glory here is his intimate relationship with his Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. But they know each other intimately. He's, we're on holy ground here, aren't we? These are remarkable things. But it shows us Jesus is more than a man. He's the eternal Son of God, who from all eternity has been in a perfect, loving relationship with his father, a relationship of mutual love, a relationship so beautiful that if we caught a glimpse of it, we'd long to enter into it. And yet we can't just stroll up to God. We can't just join their relationship. We need to be invited. We need to be welcomed. We need God to reveal himself to us, which is exactly what he says he has done in Christ. Verse 27, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Or verse 25, these things are hidden unless they're revealed to us by God. Now, I don't know about you, but we maybe stumble over that word hidden, and we think, well, why is God hiding? Is that fair? We need to come back to that in a minute. But I think the remarkable thing here is the unseen God, the holy God, the utterly other God, reveals himself. He wants himself to be made known. But who does he reveal himself to? Not who you might expect. Not to the wise. Not to the powerful. But to those who are humble. To those like little children in this gospel, little children are often a phrase for Jesus' disciples because they come to Jesus like little children, independence and trust. And this tells us something deeply profound about God. He is for the lowly and the humble. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be a somebody, a theologian or a religious expert to know God. No, to the praise of his glorious grace, he's revealed himself to nobodies, to children And those who will come like children, putting their trust in him. But from the wise and learned, those who think they're something, these truths are hidden. Now, when you think what that means, there's a restaurant in Singapore that's got a Michelin star. And it's um, what you might describe as a hidden gem. Now, I don't know what you're... kind of thought of a a michelin star restaurant is mine is kind of fine linen and and silver cutlery and, and real flowers on the table that's what i imagine i've never been to one that's what i imagine a michelin star restaurant would be like and yeah and good food thank you yeah and good food most importantly of all but this place is nothing like that well actually dave you ruined it now because i think the food is probably good but it's none of those other things it's in a food court And Singaporean food courts, we're not thinking about the palms. This is plastic tables and lots of stools, and it's not very clean. We're talking pigeons flying around, that kind of thing. But there is this Michelin-star restaurant. Now, when they call it a hidden gem, what do they mean? Because it's not actually hidden, is it? It's open for business. They're advertising. People go there every day. Hidden gem means you wouldn't expect it there. Because if you're after fine dining, you don't go to a food court. And in the same way, God's kingdom is hidden from the wise and learned because they cannot believe that God's wisdom, God's salvation, would be found in a crucified Jewish man. It's hidden, but it's hidden in plain sight. Well, someone will say, though, but if God's hidden, it's not fair. If God's hiding, it's not fair. I can't believe in Jesus because he's hiding. Why does he judge those cities if he's hidden the truth from them? But you see, nobody can actually say that because it's not hidden like that. He's not playing hide and seek. It's hidden in plain sight. And Jesus says to all people, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you want to come to me, come to me. Now, these two things seem contradictory, don't they? And there are certain things about God that do seem contradictory. They're not actually contradictory, but they seem like that. And in a sense, that's not really surprising, is it? Because God is beyond our comprehension. If we could understand him completely, he wouldn't be God. But one of the ways that people resolve this tension is to deny one of these truths. So think about um, Jesus is is fully God and fully man. The church has always believed that. But it's it's taken a long time to, to wrestle with how that's possible. It seems contradictory. And so for a few hundred years after Jesus was born, some people would try and understand this and say, well, maybe Jesus isn't fully man. But the church always said he is fully man. And others would go, no, he, he's not, he is fully man, but he's not fully God. And they deny one of those truths. And it was only when there was a shift in, in people's mindsets, there was a kind of a revolution in thinking, that people could say, aha, that's how it works. Now, I know nothing about physics, but I'm told it's the same in physics. And that um, some of you have absolutely no idea what I'm about to say, because I frankly don't know what I'm talking about. But um, uh, I feel like Shale probably does understand this. Shell's here. He, he's a learning man. But at the subatomic level, I've no idea what the subatomic level is, but <laughs> at the subatomic level, things can be both waves and particles. But those two th- how can they be the same, two different things at the same time? It doesn't make sense. Now, it's not that they are, it's not actually contradictory. Those two things are true, and yet they don't make sense. And at some time in the future, I take it somebody like Shale or Logan Walker will have a great brainwave, and they'll win a Nobel Prize, and we'll all go, aha, that's how it works. But until that time, we can't understand it, and yet both are true. And if we deny one or the other, we deny the truth. To believe in Jesus, God needs to reveal him. Jesus needs to reveal himself to us, and yet at the same time, we need to come to him. Both are true, and if we deny one or the other, we end up in a pickle. I remember going to a museum, and there was a painting on the wall of people dressed up in kind of religious clothing at a a wild, drunken party. And the caption underneath it was something like, if God will choose us, he will choose us. And you see the point? We'll just carry on. We'll get drunk. But if God is going to reveal himself to us, he'll do it. We don't need to do anything. And some people think like that. But that is never the picture in the Bible. God says to us, come, repent, believe in me. And yet it is also true that unless Jesus reveals himself, we cannot come. I don't know if an analogy here might help. But picture someone who's who's thinking whether they should uh, come to Jesus as standing in front of an arch. And on the arch, there's some writing above it. And if you come to Jesus, you walk through the arch. And so at the top of the arch, it says these words, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Or you can think of another Bible verse, choose this day whom you will serve. And if you're a Christian, you may well remember a time when you did that. You chose Jesus. You realized who he was and you said, I want to come to you. You prayed a prayer. And there may be some this morning who are standing before that arch and Jesus says to you, come to me, come through the arch. But once we're through, we look back and we see different words above the arch. On the other side, we might see the words of verse 27, words like this. You didn't choose me. I revealed myself to you. Or John 15:16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And both sets of words, both sets of experiences are real and true. Now, that might sound very technical and uh, and theological, but it's a wonderfully humbling and important truth. It blows my mind that God would take somebody proud and arrogant like James Ballinger and humble me that I might see the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. I know that by myself, I would never have seen who Jesus was, And yet in his kindness, he opened my eyes to believe who Jesus is. And what's more, that means he will keep me going. My heart resonates with the words uh, from the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And if continuing to believe in Jesus, continuing to see Jesus depends on my wisdom, my cleverness, my ability to believe who he is in the Bible, then I am doomed, I will wander away. And yet Jesus continues to reveal himself as who he is. I'm safe because he's revealed himself to me. And friends, as we see that, it's a wonderful and humbling truth. And what's more, it changes how we see others, doesn't it? We can't look down on those cities that Jesus condemned and, and scoff at them. Capernaum, you rejected Jesus because you were too sinful. We can't look down on others in Christchurch and say, you've rejected Jesus because you're too foolish. Because we too are sinful and foolish. We must look out with eyes of love and long that the grace shown to us might be shown to them. It should drive us to pray. And friend, do you see what that means? If you've believed in Jesus, if you've repented and followed him, You've done what you could not do. And so praise God. And with all your heart, be full of gratitude because Jesus has revealed himself to you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, do you see what Jesus says? He says, you must come to me. You must believe in me because judgment awaits those who won't come. But you actually can't believe in me by yourself. These truths are too wonderful to obtain by yourself. I need to reveal it to you. So Jesus says to you this morning, come. Come to me and I will reveal it to you. Well, in our final section, that's what Jesus says in verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder if we see how wonderful this offer is, this genuine offer. I was thinking about this this week and coming to Jesus impacts and changes every burden we bear. I don't know what burdens you at the moment. It could be a sense of sin or of guilt or of shame or of inadequacy. And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Wash away, I will wash away your sin and your shame. You do not need to hide or feel inadequate. In Jesus' day, the religious teachers made those who wanted to come to God carry all kinds of heavy religious burdens. And Jesus says, you don't need to do all those things. Come to me and believe, and I will give you rest. could be a sense of anxiety that makes you weary. It could be a sense of needing to strive to keep up with others and Jesus says, entrust me, my, yourself to my good care and I will help you. It could be some kind of suffering, a burden that is upon you. And Jesus says, I will help you bear it. Friends, as we look out to this COVID afflicted world, we see many things, don't we? We see a fear of death. We see a fear of economic ruin. We see others who are isolated and, and feeling the anxiety of that. All of these burdens are heavy and real. And Jesus says, come to me and I will help you. I will help you bear them. Not that coming to Jesus fixes all of our problems. Not that we never get sick or we never lose our job or we never experience conflict or we never get tired. In fact, there'll be other things that become harder. But as we come to Jesus, it's possible to walk through this fallen world with all of its miseries, with a deep sense of peace and rest in our souls and again it's not a magic bullet see what he says take my yoke and learn from me it's a process we need to keep learning but do you see that image it's an image of being yoked to an animal isn't it and an animal y- is yoked to something to pull it along it's a kind of slavery image And following Jesus means submitting to him. It means making him our king and serving him. But in many ways, in our day today, it's a hideous image, isn't it? The rallying cry of our day is freedom. We encourage people to build their self-esteem up, to stand on their own feet, to call no one master. And yet the great irony is we are all slaves of something. Many run from Jesus and find themselves enslaved to the opinion of their friends. We're at the mercy of the number of likes or hearts we receive on Facebook. We find that our ambitions or our expectations become our taskmaster. And though we we proclaim that we are free, we are enslaved. But Jesus is really clear with us, isn't he? Make me your master. He doesn't hide it. He says, if you follow me, you will be a servant. But that's a blessing and not a curse Because I'm a good master. Verse 29, for I am gentle and humble in heart. If you will serve me in my service, you will find rest for your souls. And again, it doesn't mean it's easy. As I look back at my own life, I can think of a number of times when I've not enjoyed this rest. And often it's because I've struggled against his yoke. I've wanted to take back control. I've wanted to be my own master. And I thought my way is better And it's brought brought with its suffering. But as we submit to him, we learn that his way is light. His path is the path of peace. And yet many don't come. Perhaps because they don't recognize the weight of their burdens. They're so used to them that they don't realize that they're heavy. Perhaps because they look at Jesus and they don't see that he is the way to freedom. They just see an oppressor. And the sad reality is if we think we're wise and learned, if we think we know better than Jesus, we'll run from this joyful yoke and we'll make ourselves slaves of something else that will crush us and ultimately on judgment day will destroy us. But Jesus promises this morning, come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me and I will give you rest. May we come to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to hard and yet wonderful verses. And so we pray, dear Father, give us ears to hear them. Please reveal yourself to us. Help us to come to you and to find your yoke a joy and a delight. Father, we pray for those who've never come to you. We pray, help them to have their question and answers that they might come, that they might find this joy. And Father, we pray for those who have come, for whom the burdens of this world feel particularly heavy this morning. We pray, help them to learn how to walk with your yoke and find this great joy. Father, have mercy on each one of us for your glory's sake and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.